Welcome to Awakening Divine Wildness, hosted by inspirational speaker and best-selling author, Mal Duane. Mal invites you to embrace your divine wildness with powerful conversations with visionary women. Listen in and learn how to move from pain and heartache to forgiveness and freedom so you can live the life you deserve. Welcome to this week's show, and I am so honored to have this guest this week. I met her last spring at the conference in Boston for the Course of Miracles. Many of you know that I've been a student of the course since the late 80s, early 90s, when I first got into recovery. And it was such a powerful tool to keep me on my path. But now I look at the course as a way of living. It's, it's a beautiful guide on how to stay in love and disconnect from fear and honor ourselves, but be in oneness with all of those around us that we love. And it's just such a beautiful practice. And I'm honored today to have one of the most recognized teachers from the conference, Dana Morocco, Dr. Dana Morocco. And I have her beautiful book here, The Top 10 Lies We Tell Ourselves. Dana is the author of this magnificent book and The Top 10 Lies We Tell Ourselves and How to Stop Living Them is really the key that we're gonna be talking about today. The teachings in this book draw from her professional background in educational psychology and The Course in Miracles. In a lighthearted but profound discussion of the most common self-deceptions that keep people from living happy and creative lives, Dr. Dana speaks, she sings, and she performs self-help stand-up at spiritual centers and retreats. And you can find her on YouTube. She has a wonderful channel where there's a series of videos, Did You Forget to Laugh? And you can connect with her at her website, drdanamorocco.com. Dana, how are you, girls? Nice to see you again. Oh, I'm great. And thanks for having me on your show. Oh, it's my pleasure. As I mentioned, I've been a longtime student. And, you know, I can't say that I'm 100% consistent with my practice. I read every day the lessons, and then I might pull back for a while, and then I go back. It seems like the course is always there when I need it. Right, exactly. That you can count on. <laughs> uh, and, you know, and so I, I love a lot of spiritual teachers, but I keep going back and doing the lessons and then um, going to the conference and connecting with all the teachers there was such a treat. Your book has 10 very powerful lessons in it that I just loved, but I had three that were my favorites. Great. And the first one that I wanted to, well, actually, I want to ask you something. I got ahead of myself. <laughs> I want to know what attracted you to The Course in Miracles and why you've studied the course, and now why you write about it so beautifully. Right. Uh, great question. And I'm going to go deep with it. And I'm going to go back to uh, childhood, just um, sharing that I was an only child. I was a bit of an isolated child growing up in rural Minnesota. And I just became an observer of all around me because I didn't have a lot. And uh, 
I connected with nature, I connected with animals, and I was a very inquisitive child, just kind of um, very willing to look within and just trying to make sense of what was going on. But I did notice in myself at a very early age that I felt that something was wrong with me. I felt like other people were happier than me. I felt uh, later I would art articulate it as feeling dead inside from an early age. And I just wondered why I felt that way. Um, do other people feel that way? Is anyone as happy as they seem to be? Uh, are we faking it? These are kind of the questions I had. But I was very determined to study all of this like a scientist. And that carried through my life for a very long time, going through uh, my psychology courses, where, um, you know, in the Western way that psychology is structured, we're encouraged to think like scientists and do experiments. And I loved all of that. And I took it as far as I could. I went to college for 10 years straight, full time, because I just didn't want to leave that role as a learner. And um, I, I learned a lot about myself and the world and how it worked. And I, but the thing is, is that it wasn't really tapping into making me feel better personally. Um, I was still struggling with depression. Uh, I tried therapy that helped some, um, certainly, but I just thought I must be missing something. And I was always kind of holding anything spiritual out at arm's length, thinking, well, that's not for me. Um, I don't, you know, I don't understand it. It sounds, you know, strange. Uh, this whole idea of God and the higher power, like that just, that can't be where to go. You know, I'm a scientist. But when I had kind of a, you know, what I consider now my spiritual midlife crisis at 40 after having two kids and suffering from postpartum depression, I really just cried out for help honestly and truthfully and said, well, if there is a higher power, then help me, but you probably won't because I don't really think you exist, but I'll try anything. So if there is a way to navigate through this with more peace and ease, um, I'm ready. And then slowly that did kind of shift things for me and just uh, almost like a magical way. It wasn't overnight, but things just appeared uh, towards me that, you know, I attracted that would help me on that path and started with yoga, um, teaching yoga, and then getting into energy healing. And then at an energy healing conference with some colleagues, I just had the pleasure of sitting next to someone that said, have you heard of A Course in Miracles? And I said, yeah, I think I have that book, but I don't plan on reading it. I opened it and the language kind of turned me off. It sounded very Christian. And you know, I was raised Catholic, been there, done that kind of thing. So um, I just kind of kept it out uh, at arm's length. But when he gave me a 30 second description of what it really meant, um, I was blown away by the metaphysical piece of it. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to go home and I'm going to start reading it. And that made a total transformation, I have to say. You know, you mentioned something that I hear all the time about the course, the language. A lot of people have trouble with the language um, because it's not the way we speak. It's not the way other books are written. It is its own unique language because it is transcribed a dialogue with Jesus and people just don't know how to handle that. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So, so um, you also mentioned that you embraced it at a moment where you really felt you were in a dark place. And I did the exact same thing, the exact same thing. I was at a point with my alcoholism that I knew I didn't have another day left in me, not one more day to continue to do what I was doing. Right. I was ready to die. And that's when I had a spiritual awakening that there was another path 
that there were lessons I needed to learn. And this was a voice in my head that I can never, you know, I don't know where it came from. I can't explain it. Was it God? I don't know. Was it my higher power? It was definitely something. And um, it just said, you have lessons to learn. And once you master those lessons, you will need to go and teach others. And that piqued my curiosity enough not to do myself in that night, which I had planned right down to the finest detail, mm. but to get up the next day and say, I've got lessons to learn. I got to get sober. I got to figure this out. And it was, I mean, my life changed so quickly. As you said, it was like a miracle. I it went really from was. being dependent on alcohol daily to stop drinking just like that and never struggled with alcohol again. It's amazing. That's not how it goes usually. <laughs> That's not the normal story. We all know that. So I do feel blessed. Right. Just it was I was meant to uncover something and right. I uh, you know, I have such appreciation that I was given that opportunity to learn these lessons. Right. And it's not that the power is within the practice or the book itself, of course not, but just helping you realize that your power isn't anything you can ever lose unless you choose to, you know, store it away for, for other reasons that don't serve you. But just that we always have that limitless ability to heal ourselves. And then of course that healing ourselves, we understand that healing others is a, a part of that. There's only one of us appearing as many. Wonderful. So I have three favorite lessons in oh, here. Good. Yeah. And my first one was number 10. Nothing is more important than being right. And of course, you always are. I mean, we all struggle with this. We right. want to be right when we get into dialogue with people or confrontation. So give us a little course perspective. Yes. Well, first, I just wanted to say that I was very motivated uh, in sharing my teaching that it be funny because I do think that we take ourselves way too seriously. And we take our spirituality way, way, way too seriously mm -hmm. uh, to the point where it can get real heavy. And um, for me, that just didn't work. The heavy uh, kind of, you know, sit on your knees and pray and close your eyes, just, you know, the, the literally the gravity of it just wasn't helping me. What helped me was humor, just literally laughing my way through these faulty beliefs and that's kind of the practice that I was following in studying the course and applying it in my life. And that's kind of what I was, had in mind when I wrote the top 10 list. I really modeled it after, you know, watching David Letterman, you know, how he structures a top 10 list. I thought, wouldn't it be funny if the ego was up there on stage and had to like really tell us what it was up to and we could just, you know, laugh at it together. Because um, I think that's the right way to, to use humor where it's never about singling anyone out to make yourself you know, look or feel better temporarily, but, but if we could all laugh together at, you know, the way that we, you know, misperceive everything <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> that there's so much benefit in that because then no one is singled out and there's really a camaraderie, cooperative healing where it's, you know, we're all in it together. It's all, we all heal or none of us heal kind of thing. But anyway, that the <laughs> number 10 that you picked, nothing's more important than being right. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly, just flip on the news. I mean, you can see that in the political arena. You can see it in your own life. Um, and uh, there's a line in the course that says, would you rather be right or happy? Mm. Kind of like um, hold each one in your hand, left hand or right hand, like which one are you going to choose, right or happy? And some people might say, well, I'm happy when I'm right. <laughs> 
And again, it might seem that way, but on a deeper level, are you really, you know, if you're happy at someone else's expense, is that ever really fulfilling at all? Um, I don't think so. And that's not the place I want to come from when I interact with others and get through life. Also, I think the key thing about being right is the ego and the course goes into a dialogue about ego that is, of course, I mean, just right. fabulous. You know, how that ego can just whip us around and it's it's not who we are. And that's what creates that 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 gnawing feeling that we have to be right or have to attack and right. condemn and and do all those things. It's the ego. And the ego is basically is a fear. It's it's we're when we're in ego, we're really disconnected from love. Exactly. And the point of all these lies is really to bring ourselves to just a very compassionate, gentle way of looking at others. So we dissolve any judgments. Like for example, when I wrote that lie, nothing's more important than being right. I think most people would react by saying, oh, I know someone like that. I'm not like that, but I know someone like that who always digs their heels in and has to be right. And so I use what I know from psychology and I, in that chapter, I reference Anna Freud and how she talked about reaction formation and what it really means in this case is, you know, the person who digs their heels in the hardest, the strongest, I, of course I'm right, of course I'm right, and just shouting, just, you know, spitting, you know, you can imagine just the forcefulness of it. That person is actually the most afraid that they're wrong. That's just the way it works. <laughs> and they're trying to cover that up by being forceful about being right. So when you understand that, it can really bring you to compassion quite quickly for people that can seem so obnoxious and can seem like they're attacking you. You can still find that compassion center in yourself. The more you have to defend, yeah. the more fear there is inside. Yes, well yeah. said. And to recognize that in somebody, as you said, when they're attacking and carrying on and they're right in your face, know that they are, there's something so big missing in them that they are terrified. Exactly. Yeah. Gives you a whole different perspective. Mm -hmm. mm. It's hard to always have compassion for anger, but fear, we can usually get there. If we think yeah. of someone as being afraid, we can think, oh, I could comfort them. And it can even just be in your mind, you know, sending them a comforting thought in your mind because they but might not be able to accept anything else at that moment. Don't you think that fear is kind of the motivator of really all bad behavior? Absolutely. Yes. Fear is underneath everything that's obnoxious and uh, combative. Right. Yeah. So my next favorite one was lie number four. The person who can hold a grudge the longest wins. <laughs> right? I know. Doesn't it seem like we just, um, we almost sometimes define ourselves by our grievances. We have, um, you know, some really big ones that can last a lifetime and maybe even beyond if we're, willing, if we're, if we're trying that hard to, to hang on to it. But um, I think there's a danger in defining yourself by a grievance um, against someone else, even if it's something pretty horrific. Um, there's a difference between just experiencing it and seeing it as an experience that I appear to be having versus this is now who I am. I am a victim of blah, blah, blah. I 
wrote a book this year based on that premise that, and it's called Broken Open, Embracing Heartache and Betrayal as Gateways to Unconditional Love. And the reason why I wrote the book, I met so many women on my own path of healing that were stuck in such anger and resentment about what had been done to them. It had compromised their health. They had stopped living. They were so disconnected from the feeling of love. They said they would never love again. I said, this is more tragic than what happened. Exactly. Yes. And it was holding on to that grievance. They were victims of their pain. And I said, oh, my God, I don't want to be that. I don't want to end up like that. There's got to be a better way. And, of course, forgiveness is freedom. It's, you know, what gets you out of that that judgment and that condemnation is to say, wait a minute, you know, we're, none of us are perfect. We all have flaws and forgiving ourselves. Exactly. And we can really, we can do a great job of holding a grudge against ourselves. Especially, you know, women, they, they, they hold so much anger against themselves for what happens to them. And instead of realizing our choices always bring us to certain points in life. We made choices that bring us choices 10 years ago that bring you to a situation today. We have to, we have to take responsibility for that. And when right. we do, it frees us. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. The course talks about how, you know, your grievances reveal what is not there. Mm. it's almost like taking the opposite approach like um using it to identify your illusions where you've really been making an illusion or a story um so real that you can't get past it won't get past it and like you said the victimhood role emerges there and what i love about the course is that it's so deep like i didn't think i'd ever have a real explanation for why the victim role was so tempting but it's all in the it's in the course that you can close the book and say no no that can't be right but it really does make you see like you said about responsibility that this is a choice i'm making to see myself in this way like is it even possible to be a victim ultimately is it possible i don't know that it is beautiful point um if if we take responsibility i don't think we can be victims I think by taking responsibility, we empower ourselves. We shift the whole energy of what we're experiencing. When we own our story, we take responsibility for the choices that we make. We take responsibility for what we say, what we do. Uh, I think it empowers us. It doesn't, it, 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 it completely changes the scale. Right. And then we have another one that I just love. Reacting out of fear comes naturally. <laughs> so stick with the program. And this, this is like the icing on the cake, reacting out of fear. Yes. Well, I love how the course is very clear that, you know, we have two teachers or two voices we can listen to. And the fear voice, the ego voice always speaks up first and loudest. And it's, it's obnoxious and it's, um, you know, condemning and there's always there's often an urgent piece about it that you should urgently be doing something other than what you're doing what you're doing is wrong um but it's just incessant like a you know like a woodpecker attacking a tree um 
and some people think that's their real, you know, that's a real voice that can be trusted and that's the only voice. Um, but the course is very clear with the mind training that just, you know, again, don't identify with that voice, just relax and just be willing to accept another voice that comes right after that's much calmer and gentler and intuitive and leading you to all things good because you were all things good. Um, yeah, I mean, talk about a game changer. <laughs> I listened to that voice of the ego for 25 years, and that's what fueled my alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Condemnation that was in my head every day telling me I wasn't good enough. I was worthless. Um, and that night where I had that awakening, the voice that I heard was so calming and so soothing and said, you can't go now. No, you can't leave. You've got things to learn. Right. And I knew, I said, there's something else going on here. It was just enough of a hook to get me out of that self-loathing and say, maybe there's something I really need to know here. Exactly. It's my life. Yeah. Yes, taking on that role of, you know, the course talks about being, are you willing to be a happy learner? Because again, with the ego, you've unconsciously agreed to be a tortured learner. Like every lesson's just so hard and so unbearable and, and you know there's gonna be more hard and unbearable things and that's, that's the hamster wheel of, of the ego. But yeah, it doesn't have to be that way. We can, even through difficult times, um, be a happy learner. Um, it comes down to thinking that you deserve it. You, de you know, you deserve it. This is your inheritance, your right to feel joy and peace through anything. What do you think has been the greatest impact for you personally mm. being a student of the Course of Miracles? Um, I think the greatest quality for me to have is just kind of to not give up. <laughs> just it, it just takes di diligence. And the Course talks about being vigilant only for, for peace. And that is what it is. Just... Um, just that moment to moment decision. Um, no, I did it again and not beat yourself up for, you know, falling for that ego's hook. I think you used the word hook. Um, and just the diligence to say, no, I can do this. I'm going to just keep practicing. And it does get easier. It's just like, you know, playing piano or mm -hmm. anything else, a developed skill where you can really reset that default. Because we, I think we all have that default of ego and only ego, but it, you can reset it. You can't play the piano well if you don't take lessons. Exactly, yes. And the course is all about the lessons. Yes. You can get daily. You don't even have to have the book. You can get them online. You can get them as an audio. Um, originally, back in the 80s and early 90s, I mean, there, there were very few texts. Now there are variations of the text. Yes. Um, with, um, you know, notes uh, from uh, the... You know, um, her mind. Describe uh, Helen yeah. Chapman. Mm -hmm. Helen, uh, notes from her. And there's also books out there that simplify the language of the course. So if somebody can't seem to get through the text, there are other, you know, alternative books they can read that simplify the language. But it's such a powerful, powerful foundation for living a happy life. It really is. It's really just more of a philosophy, you know. It's, yes. 
not really, and that's not meant to be a religion. It's just a, yeah, just a way of perceiving, a way of seeing. And thank you for saying it's not a religion because a lot of people, when they first read it, go, oh God, I had enough of this. It's funny to say, God, I've had enough of this since I was a kid, but it's not religion at all. Yeah. Dana, can you give the listeners a little laser focused tip on how to get started with the course? and also how to reach you. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I, I think the best way to get started in the course is to read it. <laughs> it sounds basic, but it is meant to be self-study. And I know there's a lot of small groups meeting in people's homes and churches, and that's wonderful. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of teachers of the course. Um, what I did, and not that this is right for everyone, I just wanted to read it first uh, for myself, just to have that intimate connection with it first. Um, that worked for me, but certainly any way that you can, <laughs> any way that your resistance will allow, whatever you can accept without fear, um, go for it because it's just, and I'll, I'll give advice for when you read it. Um, this happened to me that just the, the text can be very dense and in the language. And I remember I used to have to literally hold my face um, <laughs> and only, I could only get through like a page at a time because literally like I was so resistant and my ego was like, but look at this, look at this, like a squirrel, you know, that distracted Um, But again, that vigilance I mentioned earlier, I was just committed. No, I think this is something of value to me. I feel guided to this book. I could almost, I could, I could feel it tingle in my hands the first time I held it. I'm like, I'm going to read this thing. Like I can, I'm a student. I can do it. Um, And you said advice to read it, even if you don't feel like you're understanding it. I think that's key. Just kind of let it wash over you. Like, you know, like an ocean wave, like it doesn't, you don't have to make sense of each little tidbit as it comes in. Just, just notice how you feel when you read it. I feel good when I read it, even if I'm don't feel like I have my full attention on it, or if I don't know exactly what they mean by a sentence, I just, I feel different when I read it in, in every, in every good way possible. <laughs> and you mentioned something very important. Resistance is going to come up when you read it. So, be- Oh God. Yeah. Yeah, it stirs a lot of resistance. It's like, oh, do I really want to do this? Yes, the resistance comes up, but be prepared. Know that it's it's there to just kind of pull you off course. Right. Yeah. Dana, thank you so much. Here's your wonderful book, Top 10 Lies We Tell Ourselves. Thank you for being a guest this week. Oh, thank you so much. This was Enjoy fun. connecting with you. Thanks for listening to Awakening Divine Wildness. Be sure to visit brokenopen-book.com to get a copy of Mal's new best-selling book, Broken Open, Embracing Heartbreak and Betrayal as Gateways to Unconditional Love. And for a limited time, you can get over 40 transformational gifts from Mal's launch partners. Claim all of this goodness at brokenopen-book.com.